Hi, you're tuned in to 90.7 FM, KALX Berkeley. I'm Andrew Saintsing, and this is The Graduates, the interview talk show where we speak to UC Berkeley graduate students about their work here on campus and around the world. Today, I wanted to do something a little different. Rather than sharing an interview I did with a particular guest, I wanted to talk to you about some field work I helped out with this summer. Basically, I recorded a few audio clips while I was there, and I thought it would be fun to turn it into an episode for the show. Oh, and please forgive the random changes in audio quality. I'm just a poor graduate student. I don't have money for fancy equipment. Just intermittent free time and a laptop. So, in case you don't know, I'm a PhD candidate in the Department of Integrative Biology, and I study biomechanics and physiology. My advisor is Bob Fole, but I also consider myself an honorary member of Caroline Williams's lab. Caroline's a physiologist, and she's also an IB, and I've been going to her lab meetings basically since I started here. Anyway, I tell you all of this because it explains why I was on this particular trip in August. So first, let's start with some background info. Oh, and there were lots of people on this trip, and I'll introduce you to all of them as we go, but let me go ahead and introduce Lisa Tredale. She's a member of the Williams Lab. Okay, so Cedric is just, is one of the... Hold on, sorry. Uh, This is her telling us about where we did field work. All right, go ahead. So the UC system has, like, a large number of reserves, and so they're basically, you know, field stations that are places that work that any kind of university researcher has access to to visit and then perform kind of like ecological and environmental studies. And so Cedric is just one of those reserves. It's managed by it's down in the Santa Ynez Valley. It's managed by UC Santa Barbara. It's also really nice. Uh, it was this old ranch that was donated. Uh, and they have this renovated ranch house where there's running water, electricity, a full kitchen, beds. Yeah, it was very luxurious field conditions. But that's not the reason we went. The real reason is... We started to go to Sedgwick back when our lab was first established in 2015 um, because another researcher had told us that the crickets that we were looking for were there. And these crickets are... The, the species of crickets that we were, we were catching was Gryllus lineaticeps, which are just the variable field cricket. And they actually have a pretty wide range all along the western coast from like southern Oregon all the way down to Baja. Right, but we care about these crickets because... Our lab is mostly interested, uh, or, or at least my dissertation work, which was all on, on the crickets, um, is interested in, in life history evolution. Wait, what is that? Just the ty- how an organism times its its life cycle. So when it when and how much it's going to reproduce, when and how much it's going to grow, and like how much it's going to invest in maintenance, and so that kind of affects survival. So basically, the schedule of life. And what does this have to do with the crickets? We use the crickets because they're actually a great model for understanding the mechanisms of variable life history. And the reason that is is because they have a polymorphism. Which is... So polymorphism is just when you have multiple traits or different traits within the same species. And so there's a life history polymorphism in this case where some of the crickets are flight capable and they disperse and other crickets are flightless. And instead of flying, um, they have an advantage in terms of reproduction. And so they don't need to invest any kind of resources into flying because they don't have flight, like functional flight muscles or the ability to fly. And so instead they can take all the energy that they have and then invest it into reproduction. And so there's like this trade-off between leaving your your resident population and 
and reproducing. Wait, so why don't they all just do the same thing? Dispersal polymorphisms, which is kind of what this is, is whether an individual disperses and leaves the population or not, are relatively common across insects and other animals. So some of the hypotheses are like, it's advantageous to be able to escape from predators. And so we do see a ton, a ton of predation on the field. There are a large number of other bugs that will eat crickets at night and that and having the ability to fly to get away from those predators is really important for your survival and your fitness. Um, it doesn't really matter if you can find a mate, but if you, if you can't, if you don't have enough time to lay your eggs to get eaten by a predator, doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. And so that's one big reason. The other thing is that some of what I've seen or been thinking about more recently is the importance of being able to sort of move to find other males. And so oftentimes when we see, when we're out there, we see more females, like the females actually outnumber the males, especially in years where there are natural parasites, there's these flies that we know target males and they drive the male population down. We'll come back to this. So we can broadcast male song and you get a ton of long wings that sort of fly to that song. And that's what we do in the pitfall traps. They just come right to us. We'll come back to those too. Um, and so that to me says that they're acoustically, they fly at night. So there's not many like, like light cues that they're using to navigate, but they're probably acoustically navigating. And so they may have a really great advantage of just being able to sort of fly and find a good mate in an area that's probably like oversaturated. So it's one of those two reasons? The other kind of big advantage is that like having the ability to migrate would sort of allow you to sort of expand your species range and sort of find better like suitable habitat and better microclimates and things like that. So there's, it's probably a combination of factors. Right. But it's probably one of the three reasons you mentioned that we're getting these alternative life histories. And then the, the last kind of alternative is the idea that is it costly to actually able to fly. So one of the things that I've seen in my research in the lab is that the the flight capable crickets can very easily give up their flight capability. And if they do it quick enough, they don't end up with a reproductive cost. And so it's quite possible that there's a pretty low cost to the the flight capability and that that's kind of why it, it, it persists. Um, as an alternative. There's a lot of alternatives. Okay, fine. But you get the general idea. We were there for the crickets. So I was at Cedric for a long weekend. I did field work on Saturday and Sunday evening. But everything I'm playing you in terms of like clips from the field is from Sunday night, just because that was the night I actually recorded anything. And just to give you a sense of where everything is happening, there's this like headquarters space near the ranch house where everyone meets and kind of gets their assignments and then leaves to do their part of the field work and then comes back to after they're done. So first things first, uh, we had to go set up the pitfalls that Lisa was mentioning earlier. We did that before the sunset, so they were ready to go as soon as the crickets were out and about at dusk, but also so we could see stuff while we were doing it. So here we go, Sunday night. Where are we going? To the pitfalls. What are we doing at the pitfalls? Where are the pitfalls? The pitfalls are buckets that are flush with the ground and dug, so they're basically holes. And we are going to be setting out some speakers that are going to be playing cricket song all night and attracting crickets to the holes. And so basically, we just set this noise and the crickets come and we get them in the morning. 
Oh, and the majority of this work is about collecting crickets because... The reason why we initially went to Cedric is because um, we wanted to collect feel, like natural crickets in the field to use and bring back to the lab to establish a, a lab population. So one of the things that we do every year at Cedric is we bring crickets back to the lab and then reintegrate those into our lab population, which sort of keeps our population genetically similar to like natural population as possible. <laughs> um, we want to keep it outbred um, to kind of avoid la- long-term lab adaptation. Okay, so back to the pitfalls. Where are the speakers now set up? No, but the night before we were at 15. Did you record my chorus? Recorded your what? My, all of my crickets singing. Yeah. Record your recording of the crickets. <laughs> oh, and by the way, Lisa was a little excited that that speaker was working because it had actually been broken. I'll let Lisa tell the story. So what happened was we went to go set it out and it didn't turn on. Thankfully, someone out there, someone out in our field crew was handy and was able to sort of open up mechanisms and check out what's going on and discovered a wire that had gotten torn it was attached to a knob and then the knob uh, through through overuse um it came apart and we were welded back together and and uh our speaker was happy again okay yeah that wasn't the most interesting story but it did prompt lisa to tell one of her favorite field stories i'll get it started so this coyote it- the entire mp3 player like there's a bite through oh, it wow. and one of my cables destroyed and dragged the speaker out I swear to God. I swear to God. Are the coyote? Yeah. I yeah, started it recording like, it. <laughs> it was like one of the, the like most, one of those like unforgettable, like who would have thunk. Did you see the coyote do it? No, I put the speaker out at night and then I came back in the next morning and my speaker wasn't playing and it was dragged away from where it was supposed to be and completely eaten. It was unforgettable. But hey, you live and you learn, right? I learned from my lesson the hard way on that. And I have to now, when I put the speakers out, I put them in a box so that if the coyote gets it, they just push the box and they don't get into my speaker. Because I almost lost the speaker that way. I can verify that the speaker that we put out at that pitfall was in a box. But I think the music it was making wasn't just turning off the coyotes. It does kind of sound like that. <laughs> yeah. This one, I don't know. It's distorted a little bit. Yeah, I think the bend doesn't help. Oh, that's Kevin, by the way. He's also in the Williams lab, and he was also on the show before. Here he is describing some of what he did for his dissertation. Yeah, part of it is burying fetals alive, and then coming back and checking on them. Ooh, uh, hold on. Let me see. I might have something better. Basically take a beetle, put it in a tube, and then put it into a bath of ethylene glycol, propylene glycol, some liquid that doesn't freeze um, until really low temperatures, and it will just cool them down. You can kind of like precisely control what temperature they're experiencing. So yeah, that also doesn't sound, yeah, the list of stuff I'm saying now, bearing beetles, freezing beetles. Just keeps digging himself deeper, doesn't he? Okay, no, this stuff all makes more sense in context. Definitely check out that episode. Uh, But basically, he just, you know, wants to see how the Sierra willow beetles survive the winter buried underground and how much snow cover affects that survival rate. So, yeah, he doesn't study crickets like Lisa, but he's a helpful person. 
And also going to Sedgwick is kind of just like a vacation with a couple hours spent doing some cricket work at night. But I digress. Back to the pitfalls, where you can never get Lisa down. The, the distortion, they don't care about. They, they, they hear it It definitely sounds like someone is just it's doing a like a... <laughs> <laughs> they don't... They, the distortion, is like... I think they hear different frequencies anyway. And I don't think they care. Do they not have uh, preferred frequencies? Oh, I'm sure they do. I just don't know what, like, I just don't know, like, what, um, it actually sounds like to the it, you know? Mm. You know that they hear through their legs? Their ears are in their legs? They have, like, organs in there. Cool. Mm. Fun fact about a person. They can also sound like vibrations and, like, touch with their, like, tiny, you know? Yeah, and they taste with those. Yeah. Antenna, right? Yep, 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 yep. So we finished up at the pitfalls and headed back to the headquarters that I mentioned earlier. But on the way, Lisa was already planning everybody's tasks. I want to send like a group to not the field by the like barn, but you know when you turn down the road to the water tank, there's another field that goes like, past. I want to search there. She's talking about collecting crickets by hand. So not only are we collecting crickets in the pitfalls, we're also going around, walking, looking for crickets on the ground, picking them up, putting them in bins. And together, the pitfall crickets and the hand-collected crickets will all be used to maintain the diversity of the lab population. So I should go there. Okay, I can do transects. Oh, and a transect is? So a transect is basically sort of a, well, we run a transect as like a line. Back in 2018, we wanted to sort of have a systematic way of sampling the same site every year. And so that's where we established the transect. And so in the transect, what we're doing is we're just setting out flags at 40 feet intervals in the same locations. And then we walk along those same flags, those uh, walk along those flags and observe everything we find um, in between all those flags um, for 30 minutes. And so basically what we end up having is a very systematic way of year after year, looking at a same similar distance uh, in a field um, and recording for a similar amount of time um, what we find when and where. And so that's what the transects, the purpose of the transects are serving is allowing us to get a picture of the same location year by year by year. This is what the popu- how we, we can compare what the population was like in 2018 to 2020 um, or 2021. Okay, which one do you want? Okay, you're driving me, but you're gonna pick us up. Okay. Okay, sounds good. I'm gonna go find my, uh, that's a good idea. I'm gonna go find my headband. Andrew? Thanks, Lisa. Okay, so we finally got back to the headquarters, right? And uh, actually, here there are a lot more people. So I'm gonna take a minute just to introduce uh, the rest of the field collecting crew. Oh, and this next part's pretty off the cuff, so bear with me. So first off, there's Andre. He's another member of the Williams Lab. But whereas I would say Kevin and Lisa are physiologists who study insects, Andre is very much an entomologist who studies physiology. 
I think over the course of this weekend, he showed me like five different bugs he caught. Uh, there was an assassin bug, probably multiple beetles, a praying mantis. That was pretty cool. He didn't want to put that one in ethanol because I guess he felt that it had too much soul in its eyes. So here he is describing to Caroline how to identify this fly. Oh, and it's Caroline whose lab this is. She's there too, by the way. So thankfully, this is a fly that's easy to ID. Oh, yeah. I was scared that we were we needed like specific bristle somewhere. Uh-huh. How'd you it's identify just, it? It's just a pretty distinct color yellow fine with two epaulets in the uh-huh. in the wing bases. So like two black dots in the wing base. Oh, and I should say that these aren't just any flies. They're the flies that Lisa was mentioning earlier. She's actually had a run in with them in the past. 2018 was one of my worst years sampling, and we know for a fact that there were these flies. There was probably a really high prevalence of flies, and there was a really, 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 really low prevalence of crickets. So these flies are bad news for the crickets because... There are flies that are parasitoids, and basically they... They lay their larvae on the ground, which are the, their, their babies, and then they infect the crickets. And then the, cricket, the crickets basically get eaten alive. And so the, the, the larvae will sort of like eat on all the guts of the crickets. And then once they are big enough and develop, they come out and they kill the cricket. Um, so it is a lethal infection. The infection takes a couple weeks, though, and so I think that's kind of why. So these flies have been are have been known to infect. They don't just they're not specialized on on just the crickets at Sedgwick. They can infect a whole bunch of other crickets as well. Um, and crickets they've been uh, their presence fluctuates year by year. There has been a good amount of research on them. I think that the reason that the crickets persi- populations persist despite the parasitoid presence or absence is like because the infection period is quite long. Um, and so they do have a window during which they can successfully like reproduce and the, the population can go on. So anyway, Andre's carved out a place for himself as the fly catcher. I need flies to have a large landing surface to crawl into and they can come out. So at the moment, the working model is some sort of like, you know, like this. A funnel? A funnel. But what's the most efficient way to make a wide funnel? He actually got really into that funnel trap that night. He spent a lot of time on it. The funnel gradually got bigger. It was pretty impressive by the end. Here he is describing it to Emily while Lisa's trying to wrangle everybody else and make sure everyone has tasks. With some crickets, so it smells like cricket a little bit. And then the flies have a larger area to land on. Oh, and Emily's another grad student in our department. She's also a physiologist, but she's in the Vasquez Medina lab, just like Caitlin, who's also here. Uh, they both study marine mammals. So Emily actually studies elephant seals. And I went with her to do her field work last spring. And we got to go to Point Reyes and, you know, take pictures of elephant seals to see how hot they were. It was pretty fun. 
I haven't done any field work with Caitlin, well, other than this trip, but uh, Caitlin collects elephant seal placentas, which sounds less fun. And then just to round out the non-Williams Lab grad students that are here, there's also Kathy. Uh, she's in IB, our department, but she's not actually a physiologist. She studies how bacteria interact with the viruses that infect them. She and Lisa's other roommate, Jenny, who's also here, uh, and I were all part of the same cricket collecting group last night. And we were led by Caroline's daughter, Liana, who I think is starting middle school. But she led us to the top spot. We collected the most crickets that night. I mean, not to brag or anything. Angie was also in that group. Angie didn't actually come as part of the Williams Lab group. You remember Lisa was saying, like, Cedric is part of the UC Reserve System. And so, you know, anybody in the UC system can try to use the facilities, the UC reserves for their own research. Angie was doing her own plant ecology related research. We ran into her and then she ended up wanting to come out and do cricket field work with us. On this night, Sunday night, Angie and Emily and I are all going out with Lorenzo, who is another student in the Williams lab. He actually just started his PhD like this weekend, but he already knows the hell out of this thermal camera. And then we turn it on, and it takes a while to calibrate, but once it's calibrated, we take a photo with the trigger, um, and then once the photo, will, it'll give us like some sort of like ID number for the photos, and so we'll just write down that and like a description of what the photo is. So yeah, we can do that. Oh, and the temperature of the crickets is interesting because... So taking off the fly requires a lot of energy and it requires a lot of heat. And so actually at night, it's quite cold. And so that serves as a potential challenge for the crickets to warm up their body. And so they can't actually entirely rely on the the environment to find a warm enough spot. Um, they'll do what's called muscular, basically shivering where you can generate heat by shivering and, and, and contracting your muscles. And so they have a form of muscular thermogenesis, um, where they'll like contract their muscles really, really fast and, and waste this energy to convert it into heat and they'll heat their body up so that they can get warm enough so they can take off the fly. So we were trying to take thermal images because typically you cannot see a cricket um, because they blend in so well, they match the temperature of their environment that you can't tell them apart. But when a cricket is sort of getting ready to fly and it's warming up its wings, it will start to pop out and it'll end up being warmer than its environment. Right. So just trying to catch them in the act of shivering. And thermal physiology is actually a good segue into our last introduction, Nikki, who's a high school biology teacher and has helped the Williams Lab develop and test high school teaching labs about the subject. And I think that's everybody. Hi, lucky dog. Oh, yeah. Can't forget Caroline's constant companion. Oh, and I should mention that Sadia from the Williams Lab and Kevin's brother and future and sister-in-law were all there on the trip, but they just had to leave before Sunday night. Okay, here's where I should probably confess that most of what I recorded was from the pitfalls and from the prep meeting before we actually went out. And as far as the time we spent walking around at night trying to collect crickets... I can tell you it was really cool sweeping your headlamp across the ground and catching all of the cracks where little tiny spider eyes would reflect up at you, which sounds kind of creepy, but also it had its own charm. But more than anything, I just wanted to introduce you to everyone. And 
I wanted to end this episode with some audio from the night before. Uh, scripted speech. And I guess it's important to say that this wasn't just any Williams Lab trip to Cedric. It was Lisa and Kevin's last as graduate student members of the lab. That's not to say they won't be back. Um, personally, I very much hope to get back to Cedric. But if and when they do return, it will be as postdocs or professors from different labs at different universities. You see Kevin and Lisa, and actually Kathleen too, all finished their PhDs this past August. They are now full-fledged doctors, and they've all left Berkeley to take the next steps in their careers. So that Saturday night, we had a graduation party to celebrate the three of them. I tried to get some audio from the party to share with you all, but I didn't end up getting much to work with. Like, this is what I got from Caitlin. Here with Caitlin Allen. Oh, no. (laughs) Caitlin. And from Emily. Why wouldn't I record it? Because there's no reason not to. And from Andre. Andre refused to respond to this interview. I don't know why, but people just really didn't want me to record them. It was weird. It wasn't like I was asking tough questions. I mean, here's me talking to Kathy and Lisa. I'm here with Kathy Hernandez, and she says this isn't real field work. (laughs) Explain yourself, Kathy. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) We have luxury housing conditions here at Sedgwick. Very luxurious. How do you feel about this, Lisa Trudeau? I think that the housing conditions are in the wild, and they're surrounded by coyotes and natural habitat, making it still legit field work. We have a disagreement here. Lisa Lisa called Kathy a liar. Kathy, do you care to respond? Um, we are in a field, so that's fair. I did see a coyote in the water fountain. Well, there you have it, folks. That's what field work's all about. Total softballs. Super friendly stuff. I guess some people just get a little microphone shy. Fortunately, I did get to record some ambient noise from the dinner. (laughs) Okay, yes, that was Caroline feeding the pig. Cedric has a pig. It's basically a farm. But I think that clip does a good job capturing the general mood of the party. I did actually get a pretty good interview with Liana from that night. Youngest grad student here, Liana. Liana, how has your grad student experience been? Um, whacking unicorns is awesome. What are you trying to accomplish with this research? Um, I am trying to figure out how hard you have to whack a unicorn with a stick to discombobulate it. <laughs> what's the What's the measure of discombobulation for a unicorn? How does one How does one determine whether or not a unicorn has been discombobulated? <laughs> when the head falls off. The head falls off. How are you going to know if you're right? <laughs> <laughs> That's important. Yeah. What about the candy? You've got to poop the candy and then... Or throw up the candy. Yeah, and then... Or it, like, gets split and it's got some candy fall out. You broke that stick? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Which stick is the weapon? And that was Liana, the youngest and most violent of the grad students. Peace out! <laughs> For those concerned, we weren't talking about a real unicorn, just a piñata. And I know what your follow-up question is, and the answer is yes. I was the one who broke the piñata. What can I say? I have a killer swing. Oh, and I went 10th, but that's probably not relevant. But in all seriousness, I think the real reason I wanted to do this episode was because I've gotten so used to having Kevin and Lisa and Kathy around over the past four years. And now they've moved on to their next chapters, and I guess I just wanted some way of commemorating the transitional nature of this trip to Cedric. When you have to say goodbyes, it can make you ponder the nature of things. And what I've started to realize is that, in the end, 
the PhD really is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That moment got a little too heavy and I panicked and I made a joke. Let me try it again. Scientific research is about looking for order and it's the chaotic noise of the world. When you're trying to figure something out, you have to control for all the other things that might throw you off. That's why tools like repeatable transects are important. If you want to see how a population of crickets is changing over time, you better make sure your observations are actually comparable. But controlling for the chaos of the world is easier said than done. Sometimes parasitoid flies decide to decimate your study organism without warning, or a coyote decides it doesn't like your music. You just have to roll with it and adjust on the fly. And on top of whatever nature might throw at you, you have to navigate all the things that are going on in your own life and the lives of those around you. You often have to do research while dealing with ups and downs that have nothing to do with what you're studying. And because you can never really do research alone, getting anything done means trying to coordinate groups of people with their own ups and downs and varying interests, goals, and timelines. That's why finding the right community is so important in science. So I'll take my moment to address the audience directly and say, studying science in graduate school can be difficult and it can be frustrating and it's not always the right choice for everybody at any given time. But if you have the opportunity and the inclination, it can be an incredibly rewarding experience where you can learn something about the world and about yourself. Just make sure, if that's something you choose to pursue, you surround yourself with a community of people who will put up with you and support you and push you to grow. And I hope for your sake that community includes someone with the infectious exuberance of Lisa Trudale. Magic. There is a magic in the grad life. I'm Andrew Saintsing, and I've been talking about my trip to Sedgwick with the Williams Lab. Thanks for listening. Tune in in two weeks for the next episode of The Graduates.